you're anything like me, passive income is the ultimate goal of your portfolio. Now, I know uh, I've been on YouTube for a little while now, just about half a year, and I see the this popular trend of dividend growth investing, dividend investing come up. And dividends almost become this like cult persona. It's a huge keyword. Everybody labels their, their videos with dividends in the title. And there's reasons for that. It's just really popular right now. But I want to clarify something. Dividend growth investing is not the goal of my portfolio. The goal of it is passive income. That's why I have left the title passive income of this portfolio. Now, dividend growth investing, I've done many videos on that and I will continue to do videos on that because that is the vehicle of my choice to get to the goal of passive income. Dividend growth investing is a strategy. That's all it is. Passive income is the goal. And passive income is something that can be achieved in, in a few different ways. One of them is, is a way that my father did. He owns real estate. He owns a few different rentals, has like 12 to 15 different tenants, and they, they're all paid off. So they just pay him paychecks month over month. And you know it might make, I think, around $6,000 a month. So he has that income coming into him mostly passively. Now, luckily with the dividend growth portfolio, I've earned $1,300 in dividends since starting this, but it's going to take time before it gets to the point where, you know, like my, my dad's apartments, he's earning $6,000 a month. That sounds great, but that's over 30 years of working with apartments. So uh, give this 30 years and then we'll see where I'm at with it. But we're lucky with dividend growth investing. I never get calls in the middle of the night that something's leaking or there's something wrong with the thermostat or anything like that. With dividend growth investing and with doing this type of investment strategy, it is a very passive form of investing. You're getting income month over month, week over week, sometimes almost daily without having to do anything. Now, passive income, a lot of people look at this as some kind of fictitious dream, like it's something that can never be accomplished. That's not true at all. There are most rich people, most wealthy people, they earn passive income. They're not clocking in to earn their income. To get to the point where you're actually wealthy is to be able to earn passive income. In fact, there's a quote Warren Buffett said that, I don't know when he said this actually, but it says, if you don't find a way to make money while you sleep, you will work until you die. That's a quote from Warren Buffett. It's a little bit grim of a quote, but I get what he's saying, that most people, what they do is they get a paycheck and then they already have a lot of obligations they have to pay for with that paycheck. They're in debt. They have to pay school loans. They have to pay uh, car insurance. They have to pay utilities or mortgage or whatever. And then the remainder of their paycheck, they're just looking forward to getting the new uh, Apple Watch or whatever they have on their mind, right? But the problem is, is once you do that for a while, you realize that's not where it's at. That's not where you have fun because you realize that maybe I don't want to have to work for every single paycheck just so that I can spend that paycheck, just so I can work for another paycheck. That routine is going to get old after a very long time. There comes a point where you say, I want to just start grouping my money together and making it work for me. I'd rather make it so that now I'm starting to earn money in the background without me having to clock in. This $161 that I earned in the last 30 days, I did not have to clock in for this. I didn't have to uh, answer to anybody. I didn't have to answer any emails or any phone calls or do anything for it. This is money deposited into my account and it went into the cash balance here and then I have auto invest turned on and it just reinvested it. I can go ahead and click on the activity feed here and I can see over and over again, every business day it seems like that there's money just being deposited into my account. $2, $6, $3, 31 cents, $4. It gets grouped together. 
and then it purchases more fractional shares. Now, this money that's paid with these dividends is as good as cash. I could turn off auto invest and withdraw it to my bank just as good as cash, not selling anything for it. Now, right now, I am redepositing that into my portfolio because I want to grow this portfolio to where this passive income is not paying me $1,000 over the course of a year. It's paying me $1,000 a month. That's what I want to do is grow this form of passive income. Now, like I said, dividend growth investing is a strategy to obtain passive income. Now, not every portfolio shares in this view. Not every portfolio shares in the view of passive income. In fact, I'd say the majority do not. Not everybody has the idea of the portfolio being this machine that generates passive income and you live off of the income. I would say that the majority of people doing investments today, what they their, their goal is, is they want to save up enough money. They just want this dollar amount to be high enough that they say, okay, I have this much money. If I withdraw 5% a year, 4% a year, I will, uh, I will have enough money and at least until I die. My money will outlive me. That's the goal of it. Now, that might not be exactly how they word it, but that's really how most portfolios are constructed. Is They're constructed in a way where you just have a lump sum of money that you slowly pick away at that portfolio and hopefully you die before your portfolio goes to zero. That's the idea of, of most people's portfolios. Now, that is not my goal. My goal is not to have my portfolio slowly decline in my retirement. Um, my portfolio, if I do this correctly, should continue to increase in value even after I'm retired and living solely off of it. And again, a lot of people say that's not realistic, that's uh, unpractical. Um, it's not. Many people are able to accomplish this. Again, my dad's portfolio between the stocks that he owns and between the real estate, his overall net worth and portfolio has increased quite a bit since he's been retired for over 20 years now. And how is he able to accomplish that? The idea, again, is you live off of the yield. You live off of the yield. You don't spend more than what your portfolio is yielding. You don't want to sell the goose that laid the golden egg. That's what everybody is doing is they will they will start to sell their portfolio, this machine that's generating income. They'll sell out of it and deteriorate the very thing that's generating wealth for them. So that's a, a big, unique thing with this portfolio, the whole construction of it. And that's why if you've been watching me for a while, that's why I'm always focused on this earned dividends line here, this bottom one, not as much on the market gains here. The market gains, it goes up and down. It's the, the value that other people put on these companies. And a lot of times it, make up, it makes up for the biggest gains in your portfolio. But the earned dividends, this line here, this is what represents the passive income. So I like graphing this out, charting this out. That's the reason that this is the focus over the market gains. The market gains can go up and down all at once. What I want is a sustainable secondary source of income that will eventually become my primary source of income. So having said all of that, that brings us to the main topic here. If I go over to my main channel here, we just passed 30,000 subscribers over Labor Day weekend. Uh, it was nice to be able to relax, have a barbecue, and I spent some time reading through a lot of the different emails and messages. I'll say that it's awesome to see so many people excited about this. They're excited about uh, the, the content that I make. They're excited about getting invested and, and changing different spending habits and, and making it so that they can have a passive income as well. So I think it's cool to have that as opposed to there's, there's so many other more popular things to make videos on. There's there's politics and comedy and, and all these different subjects. But the reason I think it's particularly cool to see this type of excitement with investing is I think that investing has a lot more positive impact on your life over, over a long period of time. Now, having said all of that, I noticed some common themes, and a lot of them are people concerned about different risks of putting their, their money in the market, right? 
you might have some hesitancy. I know I put $50,000 in here. And so I'm, that's a lot of money at risk, right? If you put money at risk, there's going to be some hesitancy there. What I wanted to do in this video for the main subject is go over some of the the biggest risks to dividend investing, the biggest things you can look at to counter those risks, to hedge against them. And I'll give you my take on them. So let's go through a couple of them here. All right, so I'm on the drawing board here. I'll go ahead and list out the first one. I would say that I'm trying to order these in, in somewhat of a logical way of where I think the most novice investor falls into this trap to where the most advanced investor falls into the trap. So let's start off with the easy one that most of you probably know. So I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. Most people are probably aware of this one, but for anybody brand new to dividend investing, this could be helpful. So and that is one. High yield as a result of falling stock price. So this is the, the quintessential reason of why you cannot only look at dividend yield when you're selecting dividend stocks. Um, high yield stocks are great, right? If I had just a portfolio of super high yield stocks and they were all dividend growth stocks increasing their, their dividends, um, that would be great because it, it means that you're, you're making more money with the money that you have, that you're yielding more money with the money that you have. Now, if my portfolio is really only focused on the yield, the cash flow, you might ask, why don't I just target all high yielding stocks? Well, there is a specific reason why, and that's because many times a high yield stock is only yielding high because the stock price has fallen. And the reason that stock prices fall, even when a company is, is paying out a lot in dividends, is typically because there's something wrong with the company. I'll give an example of this. Let's go over to CenturyLink here. It yields 8.68%. That is a high yielding stock. I mean, you're getting up when you get up past 8%, you're getting to where the share will almost pay for itself with dividends in 10 years, outright pay for itself. So that's getting pretty close to that. Now, the issue is, why is this stock yielding so high? You have to ask that question. If their stock's yielding above 4%, above 3%, start asking why they're yielding that high. This one is specifically pretty high. If I go over to here and we look at a graph, look at the five-year view of this. Started off five years ago, $40 a share, and now it's at $11 a share. If you go to the dividend chart here, and you go to dividend history, over the same time period, the five years, they've been reducing the amount of dividends they're paying. So even though the stock price is falling, they're reducing the amount of dividends they're paying, the yield is still very high. This is a typical classic dividend trap. When you buy a stock because you think that the yield is high and then you realize that you just bought into a company, a company that has a declining business model, it's struggling in the face of competition, it's been historically cutting its dividend, and the, the share price is falling much faster than the dividend yield is going up. So uh, this is a classic example of why to avoid stocks that are simply high yield and because the stock price has fallen. Now, number two here goes right along. It pairs really well with number one. So I'll go ahead and list this one out. High payout ratio. And let me go over to my portfolio here and just give you a, a, an example. If I go over to the week view here, just in the past week, I earned $36.84 in dividends. That's the past five market days. Um, this money that I'm being paid, do I want it to come from the company taking out debt and then they get money from debt and then they give me that money? That really doesn't help me because that means that the company's struggling to pay the dividend and they're just finding other ways to pay it, right? Just to keep me happy. I want the, the dividends that I'm earning 
to come from a, a company that's flourishing and doing so well that it has excess amounts of profits and it doesn't need to reinvest all of it, that it can pay, it can afford to pay out its shareholder a little bit. And that is determined by the payout ratio. I can go ahead and I look at the payout ratio of a company and what that is, is it's a percentage-based thing. It's the amount of dividends it's paying in relation to the company's net income. So if the company is paying almost all of its net income in dividends, that means it has a high payout ratio. That means that the company is generating just enough profit to pay its dividend, and it doesn't have anything to reinvest back into the business or to expand the business. And the problem with that is, is this is a dividend growth strategy. If companies are expected to increase the amount of money they're paying you every single year, they need to increase the amount of money they're making every single year. So the payout ratio, if they're not increasing the amount of money they're making and they're continuing to raise their dividend, this payout ratio will continue to creep higher and higher until the company cannot sustain anymore. Um, let me give you an example of a company with a high payout ratio. Luckily, we just looked at one. CenturyLink says here that it has a payout ratio of 107%. And you might ask how it's doing that. That means that their obligations outweigh their net income right now. That to keep their shareholders happy and to pay their dividends, they're having to fund it with, with debt. It might be temporary debt. This might go down next year or later. But right now, they really have no net income to share. They're going to be forced to lower this dividend yield, to increase their income, or to pay off loans or something to, to lower this payout ratio. Because this means that the dividend that they're paying out makes up 107% of their net income. Not a good thing to see. This is another big red flag for a company. And if a company like this has a high payout ratio that's not a temporary thing, I don't really want to own it. So this is an example of a company that has a high payout ratio that has multiple red flags to me. Now let's go over to a company that doesn't really have any red flags to me. If I go over to Target and I just go ahead and I look at the five-year graph here, this is a company that's in my portfolio. Now we know over the past five years, the stock price hasn't been like plummeting. So the yield isn't just a result of people selling out of the stock, you know, running for the exits. Uh, no red flags here. Then if I go over to the dividends here, we have a dividend yield of 2.47%, and then we have a payout ratio of 45%. The place that I look at where I think it's pretty safe is below 60%. If the payout ratio for most companies is below 60%, that means that they can afford to continue raising their dividend for years to come, that their obligations aren't exceeding their net income, that they have enough net income to pay their dividends and reinvest into their company, pay all their debts, all that type of stuff. Um, there are some companies that are outliers to this uh, REITs. They have a much higher payout ratio, but that's because they have they have special tax incentives to be able to be a REIT. So that's a, a whole different thing. But for most companies outside of REITs, the payout ratio, generally speaking, below 60 is pretty good. So these are red flags you can look at. The payout ratio, the dividend yield, and you look at if the stock has been plummeting or if it's been staying level or going up. Those are three things you should look at just as an introductory to, to doing your research on a stock to see if there's any just immediate red flags to it. If you only look at the dividend yield, you're setting yourself up for trouble. It's, you're just throwing darts at a board there. You don't really know what you're picking. Okay, so we've gone through two of, I think, the, the most basic ones. These are low-hanging fruit right here. High yield as a result of falling stock price. This is a dividend trap that it gets novice investors in. You want companies that their yield is not a result of their stock price falling, that their yield is just a result of them increasing their dividends and their business is flourishing. The second one, high payout ratio. Again, 
a long-term high payout ratio is not sustainable. If a company has a long-term high payout ratio, they're going to have to solve that by cutting the dividend or increasing their net income. Either one of those. I don't want my money in either of these. Now, the third one is quite a bit different. Let me list it out here. One of the things that I've seen uh, at different articles and it's uh, general criticisms of dividend investing is that you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on all those great growth stocks, those stocks that do not pay dividends. And I've seen this sentiment shared quite a bit as a main criticism of this strategy. So I have a couple thoughts on this. One of them is I do not know an investment strategy that you can implement where you will not miss out on something. No matter what strategy you implement, there is there is a certainty. It's not a chance. There's a certainty that you're going to miss out on something else. So the fear of missing out on different opportunities is going to be present wherever you put your money. You could put it in uh, those, what is it, VTAX, the fund where you're invested in like the whole planet Earth. Um, sure, but then you're missing out on having a more concentrated portfolio where you might have, have better gains, right? Everything comes with a trade-off. Warren Buffett talks about your circle of competence, that you want to put your efforts into something that you feel comfortable with, that you like studying, and that's where your competence is, right? The fear of missing out on non-dividend stocks right there, even if you invest in growth stocks and dividend stocks, you're going to be missing out on other investment opportunities. Um, just on a side note as well, let's say that you, you love the strategy, you want to implement a dividend growth investing strategy, your primary goal is to create passive income, just like I've outlined in this video. But then there's one company that comes along that you might have really good knowledge with the company that you might work in the sector and you know that it's severely undervalued and, and you go, dang, this company is great and it's not getting valued properly. And I have a strategy where I only invest in dividend stocks. There's a little secret I can tell you. You don't have to be an absolute purist. You are able to take specific bets on different stocks that might not pay a dividend if you see true value in them. So that's something that you are able to do by putting your money into a dividend growth investing strategy and having that be your primary goal. You don't need to artificially rule out every single other opportunity, no matter how good it is and no matter how much value you see in it. Okay, so let me move on to the, the last one here. I think this one is probably the most advanced. I'll go ahead and list it off. Dividend investing enforces sell low behavior. This is a popular criticism of dividend investing. I think it's a, a very valid, legitimate risk in dividend investing because uh, I always say that I won't sell a company in my portfolio unless they, there's a few things that have to happen for me to sell. One of them is I see such a, a huge deterioration in their core business model that I don't think the company's going to manage anymore. I will sell it then. But the biggest reason that I sell, the most common, is if the company just cuts its dividend, if it lowers the amount of dividends that it's paying pretty drastically. That's a sign to me that it's not contributing to my, my goal of passive income anymore, so I want to sell it. Now, when does that happen? When do companies cut their dividends? Of course, they cut their dividends when their stock price has either A, it's already fallen and they cut their dividends afterwards, or B, their, their stock price will fall immediately after they cut their dividends, usually before I'm able to sell it. So either way, I'm selling when the stock is at a low price. Now, looking at that, you might say, well, yeah, if you're always selling when the stock price is at the lowest, how are you going to make money that way? There's a secret to this. Selling low is not a bad thing when you also buy low. That's the, the catch here. If I look at 2009, this was during the recession here. This is when the most companies have cut their dividend at any time period before. 
was right during the 2009 recession. The amount of dividends being paid in the U.S., it went down like 25% in just that one year. So that was a huge reduction in the amount of dividends. Lots of companies were cutting their dividends. You might say, well, you're selling out of all those companies. How are you not losing a lot of money? The thing to remember here is that every company went down in value, not just ones that cut their dividends. All of them went down in value. The whole U.S. stock market dropped 55%. So if you're, you're transferring money out of the ones that have cut their dividends into other ones that haven't cut their dividends that are also at very low valuations, you're not really losing a whole lot of money there. The only time that you really lose money with this risk is when the stock market's doing great, every company is increasing their dividends, but one of yours is struggling and they cut their dividend, and you have to sell out of that one at a depressed value. And there's no other low ones to put that money into. That's really the only time. So that might happen, that's definitely a risk, but I think this whole idea that dividend investing forces you to sell low is not really accurate because most of the time companies are cutting their dividends are when everything is low valuations. And if you're transferring money from one stock at a low price to another one at a low price, there's nothing wrong with that. So I hope that gives you an idea of what I think are some of the main risks of this strategy and things that you can do to hedge against them. But I'm going to go ahead and move on to some questions now. Remember, you can email me anytime at josephcarlsonshow at gmail.com. You can also message me on my Instagram or my Twitter. Both of them are linked into the description of this video, and I check all of them. So I'm going to go ahead and start here with a comment from Dan. He says, hey, Joseph, loving all the videos, very informative. I'm curious as to how you and your wife align with these strategies and your budget. I ask because my wife and I are debt free except for our house, and I plan on paying that off in 15 years. I also invest 10% of my income into my 401k. My employer matches 6%, as well as max out my Roth IRA. All right, Dan. Well, I don't know how, how much advice you need from me. If you're going to be paying off your home in 15 years, you know, you're putting 10% in your 401k and your employer matches 6 and you're maxing out your Roth IRA, I think you're in pretty good shape. I think you're doing just fine yourself. Uh, if you're curious of how I do my budgeting, um, I have a, a wife and two kids, and budgeting, I mean, that's not that's stressful for anybody. At any income, I, I promise you, budgeting is stressful for pretty much anybody at any income. You can have people that make 400000 a year, and budgeting is still a problem, something to be solved. So just trying to out-earn your spending habits is very difficult to do. That's not a real game you want to play. So uh, I do some specific things with my budget. We've tried the whole, like, just trying to act like adults. Both of us just have credit cards and we just spend as much as we want and then try to keep track of it, checking our balance. The issue with that is that we never really look at it. It ends up piling up money on our, our credit card balance. And then I go, ooh, we have a huge bill to pay. Like every week we'll have a big bill to pay. There's just a... I mean, Dave Ramsey hates them. You know, he hates credit cards. I'm not in that camp where I never use them. I use the credit card pretty frequently. But one thing that I've done that has helped a lot, if you are one of the people that I think are pretty normal, where if you put more on your balance of your credit card than you would like, and you're having a hard time keeping track of it, uh, what we did was I opened up a new checking account that was separate from the main one that pays all of my bills. So this is not the checking account that's linked to my home mortgage. It's not the one that's linked to my car insurance. It's not the one that's linked to anything. No, no, it's not linked to my direct deposit or anything like that. This is just a separate checking account. And then what we do is every week we will transfer X amount of dollars, our budget, our family budget into that debit card. And then that debit card is our family budget for the week. And then our goal is we're tr we'll try to keep all of our spending for the family groceries, for diapers, for 
uh, all that type of stuff, just basic foods and, and goods that we need for our household for the week. And so every every Monday, I do the same thing. I transfer over that set amount based on your income, your family budget, the amount that me and my wife have decided into that family budget. And then that's the amount of money that gets used. And the great thing about it is if you exceed that budget, that card does not have overdraft protection. So there's no spending over that family budget. It'll just deny it if, if it goes over that amount. So it makes so you actually check the amount before you spend it. You go, man, I'm like, I don't want to get denied. So I'm going to go ahead and check the balance on this card. Oh, yeah, we still have some money for this. So that's what I've done. Now, of course, the stuff that comes up outside of it, if we want to buy some furniture for the house or something like that, obviously, it's not going to fit on that budget. That's where I'll use a credit card and I'll make a special exception for it. But But keeping things into a separate account, especially makes it so that it's much easier to track how much you're spending. That has probably been the biggest benefit to our budgeting is having a separate debit card, just like cash that we put a certain amount of money every week on. And then when you're done with it, you're done with it. There's no trying to write down how much you've spent. You just know that you're out of money and you'll get more money next week. All right. The next question is from Alex. He says, hi, Joseph. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to make these videos. I just started educating myself about investing and I found your videos incredibly helpful and entertaining. Anyway, my question is this. Do you think gold and silver are good investments or would a person be better off investing only in stocks or bonds? Thank you again for your videos. Regards, Alex. All right, Alex. Well, that's kind of you to say about the videos. Uh, Regarding your question, I don't invest in, in gold or silver. Um... This kind of goes along with the whole like uh, uh, fear of missing out on other investments. Like I said, even if you go with growth companies, you're going to be missing out on some other investment that somebody else thinks is a really good investment. And what you got to realize is no matter what you put your energy and focus on, you're going to be missing out on a different investment and probably a different investment that will go up past what you're currently doing. That's the truth of it is it's very rare for one person to guess the best investment of any category that's going to happen. Um, I've had gold and silver brought up to me a lot. I think gold has performed well over the past five years. I honestly don't know too much about it. I just haven't studied it. I I haven't looked into it. Uh, I have to have that basic level of interest before I jump into it. I know people use it as a hedge, but I share more of the same feelings about it that, uh, that Warren Buffett does. That gold is just this object that doesn't produce anything. You know, it's useful. It's valuable. Um, it is an asset, but it's not a productive asset. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't actively work and generate a yield, right? It just sits there and hopefully down the road, more people are willing to buy it than there currently is right now, right? There's more demand for it. That's what you're hoping for. So my whole investing thesis, my whole investing strategy is completely different than gold or silver. I want to buy things that produce a yield, that they residually return money to me that, that creates a, a, a stream of income. So bonds do that. Dividend paying stocks do that. Uh, if there's any other, if there's any other investments, maybe rental income properties is another form of that. Uh, I stick to those type of investments, and so I am kind of a purist with this investing strategy right now. I'm just investing in things that fit along with that thesis of residual returning capital to me. Gold and silver, no matter no matter how good of an investment they are, they don't fit within that category, and I'm not going to spend the time to really research it or look into it. Okay, so the next email is from someone named Chase. Uh, This isn't really a question, but I just wanted to highlight it because it was input from somebody that uh, watched the the video I did about Costco, the news about that. So um, 
for context, you're going to have to go back and, and watch that video I did on Costco just a, a couple videos ago. He says, hey, Joseph, I work at Costco and I totally agree with your take on the company. They pay their workers at least $15 an hour nationwide. With 24 hours a week, you can get access with very competitive health insurance. Their financial support for employees is fantastic. I know multiple people with the net worth of over a million dollars that are just normal employees of the company. They match 401k and provide an easy way for employees to become shareholders of the company. After five years, most employees will be making around 53000 a year. And one year later, they start to give out bonuses two times a year. Thank you for your great content. So that's Chase writing in. He's a, a employee of Costco and he's He's validating some of the things that I've said in the previous videos. My my viewpoint is from a consumer and an investor in Costco. His viewpoint is from an employee there. So I think it's good to get that input. The next question is from Edison. He says, hey, Joseph, big fan of your show. I was wondering if you could give some advice on how you got started with YouTube and what you did to gain such an amazing following. I aspire to do YouTube in the future. Thank you for the great content, Edison. All right, Edison. Well, I've been asked this same question in one way or another uh, many times in the past, and I've withheld from answering so far, but I'll go ahead and give a few tips on on some things that I think you can look at if you're looking to start a YouTube channel. So the first thing I would say is do not bother with marketing. Don't bother your time marketing your channel. I think it's a waste of time. So uh, a lot of people, they create one video or two videos and you know, they think what they've created is great. And so what they do is they spend all their time spreading that video to as many people as possible, posting it on Reddit and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and everywhere else that they can think of, right? And then they create another video. They do the same thing. They share it everywhere that they can think of. Now, I put almost no effort into marketing my YouTube channel. Uh, I'm not even particularly good at social media. I'm not really good at Instagram or Twitter or anything like that. I haven't really even used them before this YouTube channel. I kind of just created them as an afterthought. So uh, I also didn't do the thing where you go to other creators' channels and comment in a way to try to direct comments to your channel. Um, I just don't think it's a, a good use of your time because YouTube already knows what the content of your video is with all the keywords and the things that you're talking about. And they know the entire audience that could be interested in that content. And what determines whether they recommend your content to other people is if your content is really good. You have to offer a lot of value with your content. It has to be engaging and it has to offer a lot of value in one way or another so that people will watch it. So that's what your focus should be on. If your content's really good, it'll be discovered. People will discover it. YouTube will share it and recommend it to other people. So I, I've gained, you know, we're above 30,000 subscribers now. It gains typically a, at least a few hundred subscribers a day, 300 or so a day. And none of that has been a result of marketing. You won't find me going and marketing my channel anywhere. So that's one tip. Um, the second thing is creating good content. On this note, uh, I will say that when I first started, there was a handful of people, maybe three or four, doing the thing where they where they catalog their investment journey like I am. Now there's probably three or four hundred doing this. If you plan on doing a YouTube series where you catalog your investment journey, there is a lot of competition right now. That probably wouldn't be the the exact path I take if I was going to do over YouTube again and start in this environment. In the six months that I've started doing this, I've noticed just every day there's a new investment channel started with people cataloging their journey. And I think it's pretty saturated at this point. So uh, I would focus on doing something 
that you have a distinct value you can offer that is separate from everybody else. The more you can distinguish yourself from the pack, the better. That's a, something that you can do there. So my second tip would be to try not to do what everybody else is doing. Try to do something completely different and you'll probably be noticed more. Now, the third thing with offering value, part of the reason that I'm able to create these videos so quickly, I'm able to have a, a full-time job, uh, have a wife and kids and be able to create this much content at like two videos or one video or two videos a week that are 45 minutes long. And they go really in depth on different investing topics. The reason that I'm able to do this and it's not something that's totally draining to me is because I have a large foundation of knowledge to work with of previous study that's gone into this topic. So I read the Wall Street Journal, I think, for five years now. This isn't something that I just started doing when I started the channel. I've been interested in these topics and interested in investing for five or six years now that I've, I've spent a lot of time studying about it. So when I create videos about it, I can think of a topic and I go, oh man, I remember reading a book about this investor speaking specifically on this, right? I remember reading when Warren Buffett lectured about this. I don't have to research and find all of that new. I'm just recalling things that I previously, I previously spent time studying about. So that gives me what I believe is a very good advantage over people that are just entering into the sphere and trying to make videos about investing and they're having to learn about it new for the first time and try to come off as competent and knowledgeable at the subject, uh, it's very difficult to do. If you're brand new to the subject and you're trying to make videos about it, uh, you need to offer a lot of value. It's easier to do that if you have a lot of competency over the subject that you're talking about. So just the fact that I was interested in this for a long time previous to doing YouTube has given me a significant advantage in making these videos. Now, with that, my recommendation would be to find the subject of interest that you have the most knowledge about whatever you spent the most time doing and what you can offer the most value about that you've previously studied for years, you can use that. And if you can provide that to people in an interesting way, they're going to be interested in it. They're going to want to learn what you, what you know. So that would be the, the third tip that I have. All right. The last one here is going to be a teaser for an upcoming video I'm doing. Um, this is from Russell and he says, how are you stacking cash so fast? I can't keep up WU with you. So um, he didn't have time to write out with you, but I get what you're saying, Russell. I understand. I'm going to be answering this question in a video. I think this question is so good that it, it, it needs its own video to be able to answer how I'm making money, things that I've done throughout my life that I think have led to me being able to put a lot of money in a portfolio. So this is a very nuanced, complicated subject um, that has a lot of luck, a lot of work, a lot of preparation and, and things in between that allow you to get in good situations. So I'm going to be talking about that in the next video. Until then, I hope you guys have a good week and I'll talk to you next time.